Welcome to the Speeds Digest. Today is June 4th, 2021. I'm Chris Campbell. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn to stay up to date with news from around the world of international dispute resolution and business. Before we get into it this week, first, if you're not already, go follow Tales of the Tribunal. We begin this week with some tragic news, with the passing of Mr. James Crawford. Mr. Crawford, a pillar of the international legal community, passed away on May 31st. Regarded as a towering figure in international law, his work was regarded as authoritative and comprehensive, and he leaves behind a lasting legacy with his numerous publications, as well as his activities as a scholar, practitioner, teacher, jurist, and mentor to generations of students and scholars in international law. He is survived by members of his family, including his wife, Professor Dr. Freya Baytons of Oslo University, and his daughter, Professor Emily Crawford of the University of Sydney. Our condolences to From there, we go to Singapore with the announcement of the Singapore-Indonesia Bilateral Investment Treaty. Back on March 9th of 2021, the latest Singapore-Indonesia BIT entered into force and updated the two countries' investment protection framework vis-a-vis each other. The bit was previously signed on October 11th, 2018 with the goal of promoting stronger economic ties and cooperation between the two countries. and replaces the previous Singapore-Indonesian BIT, which had entered into force in June 2006, but expired in June 2016. Some of the key aspects of the BIT are, one, broadened express definition of a, quote, investment, which now includes inter alia construction, production, or revenue-sharing contract licenses, and authorizations, among other categories. Two, most favored nation treatment clauses, including Article 5 of the BIT, like many other BITs, sets conditions for most favored nation status and treatment among the two countries. Three, restrictions on transfer of assets by which a state may prevent an investor's transfer of assets out of said state throughout the equitable and non-discriminatory and good faith applications of laws relating to bankruptcy and insolvency to protect creditors' rights. Four. There is also a right to regulation of certain specified topics and industries. And finally, five, long pre-arbitration consultation periods between disputing investors and states, namely a one-year consultation period, which may operate in parallel to mediation procedures. Indeed, this version of the BIT between Singapore and Indonesia serves as a prime contemporary example of investment treaties which seek to rebalance the distribution rights among host states and investors while maintaining familiar investor state dispute settlement mechanisms which provide for recourse via ad hoc tribunals. Only time will tell if this particular BIT will stand the test of time. Then on to the United States where there has been a significant change of course for one of the major companies based in the U.S. Seattle-based giant Amazon has had a change of strategy with regards to its resolving consumer disputes. For years, U.S. corporations have favored arbitration as the preferred means of resolving its B2B and consumer disputes. This may be changing as more and more plaintiffs' firms have countered corporate America by filing massive numbers of individual arbitration claims. While companies have spent more than a decade forcing employees and customers alike to resolve disputes outside of the traditional court system, the idea being that they would be protected from fear-inducing class action lawsuits. There is nothing to prevent the plaintiff's lawyers, however, from filing claims individually. Amazon is bucking this trend when, with no announcement and no notice, the company changed its terms of service to allow customers to file lawsuits. 
Already, it faces at least three proposed class actions, including one brought in May alleging the company's Alexa-powered Echo devices recorded without permission. The retail giant made the change after plaintiff's lawyers flooded Amazon with more than 75,000 individual demands on behalf of Echo users. The move triggered a bill for tens of millions of dollars in filing fees, according to lawyers involved, payable by Amazon under its own policies. Amazon's decision to drop the arbitration requirement is the starkest example yet of how companies are responding to plaintiff's lawyers pushing the arbitration system to its limits. Staying in the United States, a New York federal court has found compelling circumstantial evidence can be grounds for a party to determine that sufficient notice was given for an agreement to arbitrate. The United States District Court for the Eastern District of New York recently found that where a credit union is able to show, quote, compelling circumstantial evidence, end quote, that it sent an arbitration agreement to one of its members, such mailing is sufficient to constitute an agreement to arbitrate under the Federal Arbitration Act, even when that member alleges that she did not receive the mailing. In this case, a member of a credit union brought a putative class action suit against the credit union alleging that it was wrongfully charged the class members fees relating to their checking accounts. Defendant brought a motion to compel arbitration. In turn, plaintiff argued that it had never received any sort of binding arbitration terms. In response, defendant represented that it had mailed its members a copy of the arbitration agreement by mailing along with their September 2019 account statements and allowing them to opt out of the agreement in writing if they so chose. Defendant, although it had outsourced its mailing to a third-party vendor, asserted that a receipt from the vendor provided that the plaintiff had, in fact, been provided all of the relevant documents. With these considerations in mind, the court held that in compliance with New York law, that there was a presumption that a party had received documents when mailed to the party's address in accordance with regular office procedures, and that there must be additional proof to rebut that presumption. As such, the court granted defendant's motion to compel arbitration. Finally, we head to London as the London Court of International Arbitration invests in LexisNexis visual files to enhance its quality of services, boost efficiency, and augment global competitiveness. The service, a legal workflow and case management system, offers a range of capabilities that the institution hopes will assist in managing the increased volume of cases being referred to the center while enhancing its staff's productivity and capacity. The goal is to allow the LCIA to promote faster and informed decisions to support smooth operations, with real-time business support delivered by visual files. Routinely, the institution will be able to interrogate data for intelligence to spot new trends, evolving business relationships, and growth opportunities. From there, we head over to opportunities. This week, we have First, we have a U.S.-based private equity and advisory firm, Delta Capital Partner Management, is seeking a litigation due diligence manager to join its Chicago-based offices. Then, Burlington Legal LLP is seeking a commercial litigator with three to six years experience to join its London-based offices. From there, multinational firm Stevenson Hardwood LLP is seeking a marine and international trade associate for its Seoul, South Korea offices. Next, global technology company BlackBerry is seeking a vice president and deputy general counsel for litigation, internal audit, regulatory, and privacy to be based in one of the several locations across the United States. 
Finally, the National University of Singapore is recruiting for a research position for its Investment and Policy Program. The position is available on the university website and will include a link in the show notes. Finally, we end with the world of events. First up in the world of events, an event from the ICC Young Arbitrators Forum titled Climate Change Disputes in Greener Arbitration. The flyer for the event says, Climate change is one of the biggest issues of our generation. Recent years have seen an increase in climate change disputes while simultaneously challenging legal practitioners to think about their own impact on the climate. This webinar will consider how arbitrations can be used to resolve climate change disputes and how arbitration itself can become greener. Registration is available on the ICC website. Then, also from the ICC, an event titled The Future of International Supply Change, Sustainable, Digital, Smart. The organizers described the event as an international forum hosted by the ICC and ICC Germany and are taking a look at the benefits and challenges of international supply chains. Explore how trade conflicts and eventually the COVID-19 pandemic affect supply chains. How can they be made more resilient? Or how can companies address the issues of corporate supply chain responsibility? Which initiatives and measures do they take to protect human rights? Event registration is available on the ICC website. Then on June 7, 2021, the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators offers a comprehensive course on international arbitration in the form of a week-long systematic and comprehensive examination of the law and practices of international arbitration. The course features both lecture and interactive segments and is designed for arbitrators, advocates, in-house counsel, and others interested in international arbitration. Upon completion, all attendees will receive a certificate of completion from Columbia Law School and the Chartered Institute. Finally, one more event out of the Chartered Institute. As next Friday, June 10th, the Chartered Institute hosts its annual Roebuck Lecture. This year's iteration entitled, The Impact of the Singapore Mediation Convention, Both on Mediation and Arbitration. The lecture will be delivered by the Honorable Lady Justice Joyce Aluk, a former judge and first vice president of the International Criminal Court at The Hague. She was also the second woman court of appeals and high court judge and magistrate in Kenya and is an active member of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, Kenya and London branches. That's it for this week. Remember, no Tales of the Tribunal this week, and we'll have one more week off before we return. Don't forget to follow Tales of the Tribunal on LinkedIn and to drop us a line at talesofthetribunal at gmail.com if you have any comments or feedback. Until next week, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.